Welcome to the first episode of Migrant Voices, a podcast giving a platform to the many voices of foreign domestic workers in Hong Kong. My name is Valerie, and I will be your host for the coming weeks. I'm a high school student who is passionate about various topics regarding migrant workers in Hong Kong, ranging from culture and community to migrant empowerment and policymaking. Through this podcast, I'll be covering these different aspects and share the voices, views, and stories within the community. In today's episode, I've had the great honor of interviewing Miss Annie Lestari. I had the privilege of watching her speak at a UN IMRF event, which was the inspiration behind this project, and I thought it was only fitting that she be the first interviewee of our podcast. My name is Annie Lestari. I'm from Indonesia. Um, I'm a migrant domestic worker in Hong Kong for more than 20 years. And um, I came here um, in the early 2000 because of Asian financial crisis that really destroyed a lot of economy. My family was um, vendor in the market and they, they were really heavily affected by that uh, economic crash. So um, I, I was trying to go to university after in that time, after graduating from high school, but uh, it was very difficult financially for my parents. They were already indebted, and I have two younger siblings. I, w- I was the eldest. I'm the eldest. So that's why um, I was, I chose to find a job. And that time, through a friend, uh, I learned there is overseas job opportunity. So she told me, like, let's go to Hong Kong because some of her neighbors went to Hong Kong as a domestic worker. So I, I thought, why not, right? Uh, faster money, bigger money, and maybe I can go back to school after a while and I can help my parents as well, my sibling. So that's how I, why, how and why I came here. And, um, you know, but then along the way, I also um, facing exploitation. You know, my employer underpaid me, refused to give me holiday and then I work very long hours and so many problems within the house so after seven months I decided to run away I went to the mission for migrant workers for help so I went to the labor department to file my claim my case and then from there I learned how to form union so I became the chairperson of Association of Indonesian Migrant Workers uh, we organize and educate the Indonesian domestic workers at that time to learn about their rights, what they can do if they face abuse, uh, and then the employer exploit them. And yeah, and then al- since then I became an uh, activist myself until I went a global in 2008 with International Migrants Alliance. I think you've done a lot of work and it's been really highly recognized and acclaimed by so many different things. What has been the most memorable experience for you? Mm, well, it has. I have a lot of memorable experience because I think my, my own process being somebody who were exploited, knew nothing, to become somebody who were informed, educated, empowered, and stand for my own right, but also for others among Indonesian, but other nationalities and from local to international, it was like, you know, uh, very meaningful for me. It's also, I can say it's very remarkable that I, you know, that I reflect 
on that experience now uh, some of those very deep um, how to say uh, connected to me in terms of uh, experience is really when I start organizing it was very challenging I was not born from a family who who were already organized or used to be within the organization my family is very ordinary like never think of organization you know uh, and suddenly when I learn how to fight for my right I learn there is no other way except to organize because if I'm the only one knowing and fighting who am I how can I win right how will I transform all the situation you know I don't want to see all my Indonesian friends crying all the time not knowing what to do while Hong Kong actually offer all this you know legal system you can even go to the court you know but no one knows that you can even go to the labor department, you can go to police, but no one knows that, right? Simply because what I re realized, the, the labor migration from Indonesia is very um, dehumanizing in the sense they really want you to be just a labor, a slave, I would call it. You, should know not, you, should know, you shouldn't know anything. You are intentionally to, uh, to be blinded with even about your right that you can keep your own passport, that if anything happens, you can call the police, the labor department, you, know, you should go to the consulate if you have problem. But all this information were not given to us at all, at all. None of us knew our rights, our contract, where to seek help, even our passport. My passport was taken away when I arrived here. So I never hold my passport until I, I run away and I went to the police to get my passport. So you can imagine that we were made to be a slave within the house with no right, with no friends, no information, no, no supporting system. The only thing they tell us is just obey your employer, call the agency if you have problem. I did like that, you know. I, in, in the beginning, I called the agency when my employer did not give me food, when they did not allow me to go out at all from the house, when they did not give me enough clothes during the winter. I, I called them for all these issues. But the agency say, oh, be patient, this is part of your uh, tri trial, you know, after two years you can always move to another family, uh, but now you cannot complain so much, you know, blah, blah, blah. So to the point that I, I give up after three months, I, I give up of calling the agency for help because I realized they don't, they don't help me at all. So since then, when I run away, I realized we have no one here. I mean, we cannot ask the agency to help us. They are actually the one who want to exploit us for agency fee, of course. We pay so much money. At least one person we pay, you know, like 15, 21,000 by that time. It's a lot of money. And then um, we cannot ask the consulate because every time we went there, even myself, when I went there, they, they just get angry at us. Like, why you run away? You know, you... They even threaten us, you know, oh, you, you break the law, you run away, you know, you might not be allowed to work here, blah, 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 you know. Instead of giving us uh, education, awareness, or, you know, what to do when you face the situation, they just blame us. And some, some of my friends who went to the consulate for help were actually put back to the agencies by the consulate. The, agency, the consulate just called the agency and say, hey, your client is here, come and get them. So that's why... That time when I realized that that is the reality for us and knowing that our Indonesian migrants are very, very scared, they don't even speak good in both English or Cantonese, right?
So then we we realize, I will at least I realize, if we want to help them, it should be different way. We cannot just tell them, oh, go to your agency now, get your passport. We should create what I call it supporting uh, system to make sure they are safe. They will be able to return back to the shelter after they went to the agency. Well, some of them were really kidnapped by the agencies. They were just put in the room and they, the agency arranged them a flight and they just be gone, you know, like that. It's very common in that early 2000 until at least maybe 2005. So I realized that it's very big uh, threat to fight for your right. It's not as easy as just go to the police and report. It's not like that. For them, uh, you know, they are so afraid, and then the agency just, just you know, make a story uh, to the police, to the employer, you know, as if we are the one who is uh, at fault. So that's why, since then, one of the lessons we I reflect from this, my own experience, no, we shouldn't let them go on their own every time they they have to go to the consulate or the agency or the employer or labor department even. We should have people, at least one or two, who understand the language, who know the rights to go with them. So that's since then it become what we call it the body system. Yeah. So that's how we 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 empower uh, our Indonesian so they feel assisted but also they learn to fight for their friends' right, you know, like that. And then another thing is that it's very memorable. When we try to organize in Victoria Park, for example, many times the agency staff, the consulate staff always came to us and asked, who are you? Why you display your banner here? You know this is illegal. You can be arrested. And of course, for people who were just coming out from military government, right? We were militarized until 1998, you know? for at least 32 years. So we were so afraid, like, oh, that means we will be arrested, uh, you know. And the agency, and the staff of the agency and consulate always came to us many times and threatened us, uh, you know, and even threatened to call the police. And that time we were not registered yet. We were, we did not know the right uh, as a union, you know. And, you know, so finally we decided to register our association. We uh, had to say we 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 have somebody from Beton House who came with us. You know the director of Beton House to come with us to scare them off also. So because we do not know how to fight them, they are using a legal how to say terminology mm-hmm. to make you scare. You know, like yeah. I will report you to the police if you do this. And of course, for people coming from village, from Indonesia, with this kind of military experience, all those language is so scary. So p- for a while, uh, some of uh, many of our members really, really disappeared. You know, of course, unlike now, there is phone. You can call them and ask. That time, no, you can. You don't have phone. You just meet on Sunday. Just come here. So then you suddenly you you miss, you lose many of them because they were so afraid to come together. So finally, we, we, after one year, you know, within one year, we register our association, we create a, a bank account, we also invite some of our local friends, supporters to sit down with us. So whenever this guy came, this is the people who will talk to them, like, why, what are you talking about? So it become, uh, you know, they become our protector. So it's quite a challenging experience, you know, coming from, uh, how to say, very uh, foreign uh, culture ourselves with different contact coming to Hong Kong try to change the situation but this is how the challenge yeah but the next experience really when I went global 
it's very challenging because uh, well language is one but I was quite okay because I know all my migrant friends don't even speak good English uh, but then you know the question is how will we try to work together as a global alliance with these different languages sometimes we just use body language in the meeting sometimes we have interpreters sometimes we don't you know uh, so it's quite uh, experience but along the way we learn that you know the migrants don't really need so much language because we we just have the same experience sometimes we just use one word is already okay or two words or one sentence you know so there are many many tricks that we can use to communicate and that's how you know we think i mean i believe that actually uh, although there are so many differences among migrants the unity and solidarity among them is possible you know you don't need that much to create that uh, solidarity and unity because this is not intellectual unity this is actual experience when they talk about wages right to stay right to have day off you know it's everyone experience so sometimes you just use body language number and it's as simple as that you know so we i learned that oh that there are there are really possibilities for that because creating the international migrants alliance is very long process it took us at least eight years to formulate and we thought like how are we going to do that but along the way we realized it is possible and the last memorable is when i talk at the united Nations. you know suddenly from somebody who who is no one and then we try to bring in the voice of the migrants we try to challenge the united nation the government that you should listen to the migrants because all this migration policies you are talking about migrants but how come you never talk to us about whether or not this is okay or you know not you know you never ask us you just uh, regulate and that's all you know you never think about the consequences so we try to challenge that but the only way to challenge is really go to global the reason is even you go to national level most of the migrant group are national based local based they can talk at national level but doesn't mean their government will listen and that's the problem that's why we know that we have to go global just to make them listen even though doesn't mean they will listen but at least they will be they will be too ashamed not to listen something like that right so that's why we i acknowledge that engaging in the global is very important for the migrants and that become another very very touching experience very a milestone experience and it's very good experience because uh, not only that I learned to be confident among all this high-profile export on migration but all my friends also feel very confident that oh we can do it you know we can don't worry even we are grassroots we can do it you know that you should you should be confident because uh, you know you fight for your own belief your con your condition you know something like this it gave them it it boosts their their strength to to really fight that they have power within them they should explore do you see a difference in the hong kong government like have they become more responsive or the hong kong community become more responsive or do you see that there's been quite a bit of challenge well i think uh, we have to separate between government and community yeah. in the hong kong government side of course we see them numb they have been they have not been responding positively to many things locally right despite the international 
pressure, for example, from the United Nations, from the International Labour Organization, or even from other international, uh, you know, uh, uh, institutions, or even high-profile people. I think Hong Kong has their own position on things, so they don't usually listen. You know, um, so and even when they have a very strong case like Erwiana in 2014, uh, of course they try to 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 handle the case properly, right? That's why they arrest the employer, they imprison her, uh, you know. But then it took us so much just to make them walk because intentionally they don't, they didn't intend to do that. You know, so but even with that kind of very high profile case, they for them they just put it like, hey, this is isolated case. Not everyone in Hong Kong like experience like Arwiana. So they always what I see is very strong denial of what we are, what are the condition of the migrants. So whenever we try to raise something, either they don't say anything or whenever they say something, they deny all of this, right? So that's why they are not very proactive of talking to the migrants, you know. In fact, we never talk to them. I mean, uh, even you can talk to them, it's very difficult to arrange a meeting. They practically try to not to engage with us. You have to wait uh, for the labor department to invite you, and only once a year. And that's only for one hour, for many, many people to speak. And doesn't mean they will even, you know, uh, listen or even attend to whatever that you, you say, you know. So that's very, you know, how, that's why how can even, how can our condition change if the the method of communication is very restrictive and very, you know, limited. One hour for once a year, that's almost impossible, right? And, and of course, many of the domestic uh, workers' issues are not being tabled out even in the let's go, right? Even within the let's go, you don't expect that much because there are stronger voices against us rather than those who are, you know, pro-employer. So that kind of sentiment. So we are very, very aware of that. So that's why we, we while we continue our advocacy with the government, our major focus is how to, re, you know, how to educate the Hong Kong public. Uh, they are really different, yeah, uh, in my experience when we say local community. In the past, of course, I can say maybe before 2010, um, we, we were dealing with like older generation of Hong Kong families where they have their own concept of helper, you know, they have their own prejudice. They are not quite open-minded. They just want, oh, just you just work for me, you know, and you follow my order. That kind of attitude, right? Uh, but then I think after 2010 and above, when there are more young and younger generations, especially those who grew up with nannies, like caretaker in the house, like domestic workers in the house, they became more sympathetic. And I think partly because many of them are more millennial generation, they learn about other culture, they, some of them also study abroad, so they, they also have like, you know, um, cross-border cultural experience, and they also do not kind of like this kind of treatment. So many of the young people came to us and, and want to help, like to be a volunteer, they want to 
to do something like what you do, for example, you know, I want to do something for the marginalized community. So since then, there are changes in in how the local react to the issues of uh, domestic workers. So there are more young and younger generation who are very, very supportive in many issues, not only on economic rights, yeah? even in political rights, for example, right to work, right to stay, you know, right to have children, you know, there are more, you know, in the past it's maybe only wage increase, that's the maximum. But now people realize, yeah, yeah, you, you, you know, th this is human being with rights, you know, they cannot be single and virgin all their life while they are in Hong Kong for 10, 20 years, for example, like that. So there are more recognition into the comprehensive rights of the domestic workers, and particularly because we are women, right? Yeah, but of course these things need to be developed because um, I think um, the world now is facing very challenging situation with COVID and post-COVID, and Hong Kong is also. So I think we need to really find a way how to strategize, you know, gathering more support. So our effort really more on raising the awareness of the local public rather than the Hong Kong government. This marks the end of the first part of our interview with Ms. Annie Lestari. Today, she covered the difficulties faced in migrant advocacy, the importance of having a global impact, and her milestone experience speaking at the UN and its role in inspiring others. Stay tuned for part two. See you! <laughs>